that experience of just loathing, it stayed with me. And so I don't finish books. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel bad saying that. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 228. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, I know right now many of your routines have been upended and you may be looking for an escape from the news. Whether you're looking for your next read or you just want to sit back and enjoy a little book talk, back episodes of What Should I Read Next may be exactly what you need right now. Our episodes are evergreen, and we have collections of our 200-plus episodes as Spotify playlists. Go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash Spotify and start binging, um, I mean relaxing, or bibliotherapying. Is that a word? It's not, but I hope listening to a few episodes will do you some good. That's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash Spotify. And if you suddenly have kids at home that need a little entertainment, we even have a playlist of episodes for kids. Again, just visit whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash Spotify. So you hate the book you're reading, or maybe you just feel blah about the book you're reading, or maybe the book you're reading is good, but a different book on your shelf just looks so appealing right now, you can't help reaching for it. Suddenly, you have a stack of five unread books on your nightstand, and you're still browsing the library catalog for something new. Readers, if you relate to any of those scenarios, today's episode is for you. Guest Jamie Wright is a self-proclaimed book quitter, and she's asked for my help to turn things around. It's a fun one. I totally relate to her dilemma. Let's get to it. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Anne. We were all excited at What Should I Read Next headquarters when we saw your interesting request. I kind of threw a lot of interesting requests at you, so I'm curious <laughs> to see what grabbed your attention. You also said that your book club was going to be super excited about this whole venture. Oh, yes. I learned of your podcast through friends at my book club. It was kind of one of those things that was getting passed from person to person in the conversations before and after our actual official book discussions. And so a friend of mine recommended the podcast to me, and then we collectively recommended the podcast to everyone else. And in fact, the last few months, we've been discussing our own you know, favorite books and what we're currently reading kind of in a what should I read next format, and it's really broadened my personal reading horizons. So last uh, month when we had our book club meeting, I tried really hard not to tell them that I had received an email from you saying that you had accepted my submission. Um, I tried really hard to make it a surprise because I thought that would be cooler, but I am not cool enough to hold that in. So we were all very much excited (laughs) together. So... Before you couldn't restrain yourself and the news spilled out, how did you envision this unfolding? Was everybody just going to wake up on Tuesday morning and look at their app and go, what? Yeah, yeah. I just thought it would be kind of cool if, if you know, my friends downloaded the next episode and like, wait a minute, that's Jamie. Like, I don't know. I thought that would be funny. But again, I'm not cool <laughs> enough to pull that off. <laughs> I don't have that kind of patience either, though. I'm no. right there with you. Tell me about your book club. How long have you all been together? Um, I want to say we've been going on three years now, a little bit over three years. So it's been a long, kind of a long standing group. It started when I was kind of in the small kids at home, isolated phase of motherhood. You know, um, I was kind of working on my master's degree part time and just really needing more connection with myself and with with my own identity as opposed to just my identity as a mom, you know. Started some informal conversations with friends my church and at my job. Uh, I noticed that I just was delighted to be surrounded by a few friends who really had the same passion for reading that I had. If there's one thing I love more than reading, it's talking about reading. So we just got together, all of us together, 
to start to have those discussions. And so we have a monthly meeting. The format basically is we discuss the book that we've been reading over the past month, and then we select our next book, the host, whoever's hosting that month, brings three titles that they're interested in reading, and then collectively we vote on the one that we want to read together. So that's been how we've selected books up until now, and it's been very interesting. I think we've all broadened our horizons a little bit, but we definitely have a certain genre or type as a group. I think that we gravitate toward more than others, but it's been really fun and uh, it's good to have those friendships. Does your book club type tend to align with the books that you gravitate towards yourself? I think yes. And sometimes I wonder if that's my fault because (laughs) I think there have been times when my (laughs) over-enthusiasm for a certain genre or a certain book can like sway the group as a whole to also be excited about it, which I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel ashamed for that. You know, it's fine. We have kind of swung toward the same genres that I tend to gravitate toward personally, but, you know, bringing in new titles that maybe I've never heard of, discussing them together and weighing them on their merits and not just, oh, this is the type of book I like. Jamie, we read on your submission that you've been feeling somewhat burned out on your go-to choices of sci-fi and fantasy. Is that what you're hinting at here? Yeah, a little bit. Like, oh, no. I, um, <laughs> I, I feel bad saying that. I still think I always love my speculative fiction. I enjoy, you know, the flights of fancy and the imagination. I enjoy seeing the tropes put together in different and new and surprising ways. But I think part of it is I'm just less surprised than I used to be. I'm learning, too, that it's not just a certain type of book that I'm engaging in. There's more to it than that. There have been plenty of books that may fall into the genre interest that I would traditionally say, oh, yeah, that's my kind of book that I'm just kind of like, eh, Mm -hmm. I don't finish them. I'm not feeling engaged with character. And so I don't know if it's just maybe I need to move in a different direction. I still think I'll always love speculative fiction in general. I like genre fiction. I like the imagination engaged with what I'm reading, but I don't know. It's just not, it's not just that anymore, if that makes sense. You know, what's funny here is that you actually are a counselor. Yes. (laughs) And I am only qualified as a bibliotherapist. (laughs) So I wonder if it feels like the shoe is on the other foot today. Considering what you do by day. I love it, Anne, because I was telling my husband yesterday that I'm like, I feel like I'm going into a counseling session, like I'm expecting book therapy here, and I need to not do that to Anne. I need to have different expectations for this conversation. I just want to be clear that if there is a bibliotherapy concentration, yeah, I didn't take it. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. You do well at what you do. The, the, <laughs> the thing that I think I'm realizing is that when I have... A book that is exactly what I expect in terms of, okay, this is the hero's journey. They start here, they go through these trials, you know, they lose their mentor at some point, they are motivated to wonderful things, and then they return from their hero's journey, you know, whatever, whatever that traditional arc, that plot arc, that's normal. I just feel a little burnt out on it. I don't Mm -hmm. want things to be predictable in that way all the time. Like, I'm okay if there's still a normal narrative arc to what I'm reading, but I don't want that to be all that it has to offer. And I think sometimes in the fantasy and sci-fi genres, there's a lot of sameness because a lot of these books, I think, are written by people who who love the genre because of that uh, narrative arc, that hero's journey. It doesn't feel as genuine to me. I want things to feel more like life than that. And it it can still feel like life if it's happening on an alien planet. I just want it to feel like they're actual people having actual reactions, even if they're in a completely bizarre situation. Tell me if this resonates with Mm -hmm. you. I have a friend who's a novelist. And she says that after doing what she does for as long as she's done it, that now she knows too much. And it's kind of ruined reading in her regular genre for her because she knows the beats. She knows the conventions. She knows how far your publisher will let you push it and still publish the book. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you know, I feel like I've seen it all. And I... I'm going to have to find something completely different to read if it's going to feel fresh and surprising and enjoyable to me and not Mm -hmm. like work. And I understand it's not work to you, but if you're reading because you want to appreciate the the power of the human imagination and the worlds Mm -hmm. they can dream up and put on the page, 
you want to be surprised by what people yeah. can come up with. And it sounds like yeah. that's become a struggle. Yeah, I want to be surprised. And I also just, I think I want people who feel like people. I want the characters to feel genuine. And maybe that's part of it, is sitting in sessions with clients um, day after day. I get good at telling what decisions a person's going to make, be they destructive or healthy. And yeah, people surprise you all the time, but you kind of mm-hmm. get, there's a familiarity to the human experience and the human thought process that when it feels forced, when it feels contrived, when it feels like an author is running their character through a a series of challenges in a very formulaic way, the verisimilitude is lost for me. Now, you mentioned that you don't finish a lot of books. (laughs) Yeah, it's something chronic. (laughs) Tell me more about that. I have been a book quitter since probably late high school. So I'm not one of these that used to finish books, you know, religiously. I think I read Moby Dick my junior year of high school and it ruined me forever. Just, (laughs) I can't muscle my way through it. (laughs) I'm not enjoying it. And I'm cool with that. Like, I'm really okay. Did you muscle your way through Moby Dick back then? I did. And I regretted it. I regretted it so hard. I wish I had quit it. I'm sure if I read it as an adult, it would be a different experience. Maybe I'd have more appreciation. And it stayed with you. It stayed with me, that experience of just loathing. And so I don't (laughs) finish books. In fact, I would say that I probably quit more books than I finish. I feel bad saying that because I feel like that demonstrates a disrespect for the work that authors put into their books. And I don't want to do that. I quit books that I might be enjoying. This is, it's, I don't know, it's becoming pathological, Anne. I quit a lot of books because I think I'm a bit of a mood reader. I just kind of go wherever I'm feeling it that day. And so I have perpetually on my nightstand a stack of like seven or eight books that I probably started and I stopped somewhere in the middle, but I maybe intend to finish them one day and then eventually they get cycled back onto my bookshelf and maybe I'll pick them up again in a couple years, but they're not going to get finished right now. That's for sure. So you don't feel half-hearted about quitting books? No. You're a proud book quitter. (laughs) Well, it's kind of what it is. Whether I'm proud of it or not, it's a reality I can't really change at this point. And yet you said that you're not thrilled with quitting more books than you finish right now. But you're okay with mood reading, right? Yeah, I'm good with mood reading. I think I just would like, you know, 10% more stick-to-itiveness, you know, to actually power through when it's dragging a little bit and finish it and experience (laughs) the resolution. It would be nice if I finished like 60%. The ones that I'm actually enjoying, I'd like to be able to finish those ones. Okay. So if this is a scale, you'd like the balance to tip in the other direction? Yes. Just a little. I'd love to hear about a book you've read recently that pulled you right through that you were Mm. reading it at the right time, you were in the mood for it, it was the right book for you, it made you want to keep going. The last book that felt that way to me, I heard The Owl Call My Name by Margaret Craven. And I will say I kind of had that, I had to put a little bit of intention into it. Mm -hmm. I developed this rhythm last week when I was reading it of like waking up in the morning, you know, did a little Bible reading, and then I would sit down before the rest of my family was up and in my face, and I would read that for you know, 20, 30 minutes in the mornings. And it, it developed a rhythm that was really um, lovely. And the tone of the book was so lovely. And you know, from page one, what's going to happen at the end of that book. But the way it unfolded was really beautiful. And the characters involved, I cared about them deeply. And I wanted to understand the way in which they were going on their journey. So I felt it was easy to stay engaged. It also helped that it was a little shorter. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge it may have been influenced Mm -hmm. by the fact that I knew this recording was coming up. And so I was like, I I love reading. I want to read more. And so there was that that extra, you know, oomph of of engagement with reading in general. Uh, You know, you observe a thing and it changes it. So I can't guarantee that that wasn't part of it, but I still really enjoyed that experience. But in terms of like just those irresistible reading experiences that you cannot get off the couch and you have to keep turning the pages and one chapter immediately pulls you into the next one and 
it's almost like you would have to make an effort to tear yourself away from the book. (laughs) I've had plenty of those in my life, but I have not had many recently. Mm -hmm. Those kind of reading experiences kind of feel like something that was a characteristic of my reading life when I was younger, but can't really, for practicality reasons, be a part of my life as it stands right now. Something I hear from a lot of adult readers, this may or may not resonate with you, is that in periods of stress, Mm -hmm. fatigue, and busyness, it's hard to muster the enthusiasm for their reading life, Mm -hmm. which is something a lot of other readers don't relate to because they'll be like, "How I need my books to get through the stressful seasons, the tired seasons. So that doesn't apply to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if those apply to you right now, but it is something that could be interesting to consider. Because when you talked about your great reading experience recently, you started talking about the rhythms of the reading life. So you didn't need that Mm stick-to-itiveness because you developed a pattern that was working Mm -hmm. for you. You also had a What Should I Read Next recording on the horizon. That helped. That's so interesting. Well, maybe we can just schedule regular monthly check-ins. There you go, you know. I mean, you're supposed to go see your counselor regularly, right? It's true. It's true. This is how it works. (laughs) (laughs) I'll see what we can do with that. Jamie, I'd love to get into the more specifics of your reading life. Are you ready to talk about your books? Absolutely. I'd love to. Okay. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately. And we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. The first book that I picked was The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. And I know this has been mentioned on your podcast before. I think the last time I heard someone mention it, though, it was the book that they didn't like. So this is, you know, a conventional, in some respects, hero's journey, just as I was mentioning earlier. However, it's much more personal. The bulk of the story is told from the first person perspective, person speaking in their own voice about their own story. It's much closer to the person's experience, which I appreciated. Now, I I do think that the criticisms were valid. Uh, It does have some parts that eh, I can see people not enjoying, but I loved it. This was a book that absolutely pulled me in from beginning to end. It was surprising in many ways. It didn't follow conventional plot structure. I cared deeply about what was going on with this person's life. And uh, the main character named Quoth, I cared deeply about what was going on with his life. I thought he was too perfect in some ways and deeply flawed in others and a bit of an egoist and kind of irritating to his friends and like so he was he was deeply flawed and I think also there's that element of he might be an unreliable narrator about his own story as well which I love a good unreliable narrator also I would say Patrick Rothfuss has just beautiful language he wrote this story with very careful word choice and there are whole sections of the dialogue that if you read them out loud you realize oh these are written in verse like rhyming couplets of people talking together and so the words of this book are crafted in a just beautiful way so it's a book that I feel stands up to rereading as well which I enjoy rereading books when they have that kind of impact on me and so I've revisited this one several times. What compels you to revisit a book you've read? Sometimes I go back to a book if I really just want to re-experience the mood that I experienced the first time I read it. If I can't find a new book that's going to hit me in that particular spot, I'll go back to an old book happily that will. I especially love rereading if it's a book that I felt had unplumbed depths last time I read it. So maybe I got the surface level plot, but Uh you get the impression that there's more underneath the surface. If you dig a little deeper, you're going to get deeper levels of meaning. I love that. So this is one of those books where the first time, like I said, I didn't realize that sections of dialogue were written in verse. I realized that on the second or third rereading. And I realized it, I think, when I was reading it out loud to my husband, because it's more obvious when you're reading it out loud. So I enjoy that. I enjoy the surprises each time you revisit a text. This is a doorstop novel. It's Mm -hmm. 700-ish pages. Yeah, it's a big one. You mentioned that you were just reading I Heard the Owl Call My Name, and it was short, and that probably helped. And I was was just trying to get a feel for what may have changed. Because when you talk about mood reading, Mm -hmm. there can be, it's Tuesday night, and I have an hour between now and dinner. And what do I feel Mm -hmm. like reading right now? But we could also be talking about actual seasons or years of your life where Hmm. some reading preferences are more dominant than others. So I'm just trying to get a sense for the rhythm here. 
Okay, that's The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. I think in general, I enjoy a doorstop novel. Right before I read, I heard the owl call my name, the last book book I finished before that was A Gentleman in Moscow. So don't necessarily think I am have an aversion to a longer book. I think in some cases, a shorter book is Mm -hmm. easier to finish because you get to the end faster. But in general, I don't mind sinking into a book for a long stay if I feel like I'm connecting enough with the characters in it. Sinking into a book. I like the way you put that. Jamie, what did you choose for your second favorite? Uh, The second book I picked was The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ichiguro. This was a book that I included on my list of three because it surprised me so much how much I enjoyed it. I don't even know, honestly, why I picked this one up, Anne. I think I heard you talking about it on the podcast with someone, but obviously I didn't have a good enough memory to know what it was about when I picked it up. I think I'd read part of one of his other novels, like um, The Buried Giant, like I had gotten halfway through that and enjoyed the half that I read. And so I'm like, oh, I'll try this one because, you know, it won some prizes and it's his most well-known title. And it was, again, one of those I sunk into the perspective of this main character. I loved him so much. I just loved him. I found it so funny. This is a book where I think most people wouldn't find it as funny as I found it. But I found myself in stitches over this book. Like, not only in the places where you're supposed to be laughing, because he's talking about trying to develop a sense of humor, which is legitimately very funny. But also parts of this book where it's just the human foibles, right? He's just completely missing the signals that are going on around him. And it's absolutely hilarious until it's utterly tragic, you know? So this book skated that line, that emotional Uh line between humor and tragedy really, really beautifully for me personally in my experience. Again, it's a book that doesn't really have a conventional plot structure. You know, it's like a butler going on a road trip. That's the whole book. But I really enjoyed understanding who he was. And there was a beauty to it that I really appreciated. You are exactly right in describing this book as a butler going on a road trip. And yet that description, (laughs) I'm picturing him like in a convertible and an Hawaiian shirt with the top down and like a Diet Coke in his hands. And that's not what the book is at all. No, not at all. (laughs) Skating the line between humor and tragedy. That's that's good. I had a college professor who used to say that comedy is just tragedy and long shot. So you have an event that is absolutely horrifying and deeply tragic to the person who's experiencing it. If you see it from far away, it's humor. You know what I mean? So anytime you have a sitcom, if you were actually in those sitcoms, they would be deeply uncomfortable. You know what I mean? And absolutely unfunny. But Mm -hmm. we laugh, you know, to see the pratfalls and the deeply awkward moments. So I think acknowledging where that line is. And I don't know, maybe my line's in a different place than other people's. But as long as there's a lot of empathy for the characters, I enjoy that understanding, that perspective on folly, I guess. And when it goes from being humorous to being real. Oh, that's so interesting. I like the way you put that. What did you choose to round out your favorites list? My third favorite that I selected was Wool by Hugh Howey. And this is a book that I encountered only because of book club. It was selected as a read for one month, like pretty early on. So this was a few years ago that I read it. And I just remember having a very engaging experience reading this book. It's not first person, it's a third person, but each of the people who you're following, you really kind of understand their motivations and their decision-making process. It's kind of set in this dystopian future, but you don't know what's going on or how people got there or what's really true and what isn't. There's some really delicious suspense in this book that makes it very satisfying and very unexpected in ways It just was a really solid read. And again, I found it very surprising. I didn't know what to expect when I went into it. And it just took you on a good ride. Have you read any of the other books in this series? I started the second one, but I checked it out of the library and there was a hold on it. So I couldn't keep it until I finished it. I had to return it before I finished it. And it's one of those books that I wish I had finished because I was enjoying it. I just couldn't 
finish it in time before I had to return it to the library. So one of these days, I'm going to get it out of the library again and finish it because I think it is definitely worth finishing. I just haven't haven't done it yet. This is what I'm saying about my book quitting being a bit of a problem sometimes. (laughs) Should I give you what should I read next homework? Read Wool book two. (laughs) Yes, maybe I need that. I don't know. Jamie, you said that you have a book that you strongly disliked. Yes, I did. I strongly disliked it. And it's one that's been loved on this podcast. Red Rising by Pierce Brown. And I just could not tolerate this book. I tried really hard. And I read the first one. So I did finish the first book in the series. And I got halfway through the second book in the series before I said, nope, I'm done. Never, not going to finish it. This is an instance in which my book quitting came in handy. (laughs) I was recommended this book by a college friend whose opinion I value a lot. So I gave it a good solid try. And I'm sorry, Ethan, my friend from college. I just, I couldn't. This book, it made me so mad. Tell me more. The issue that I had with it primarily was in the way that the author treated his female characters. From book one, page one, you know that the main character is going to go on this, you know, hero's journey. Again, there's you see the plot laid out in front of you. So you know if he's going to go on this hero's journey that, of course, his wife, who's there from page one, is going to have to die, probably sooner rather than later. And it just felt like such a plot contrivance from day one. Like, of course, this is what's going to happen. And of course, she's going to be used as a bit of set dressing to motivate his character development and not as an actual person, which just always feels disrespectful to me, even though I understand why it's a trope. And I understand that people are like, well, it's a way to emotionally motivate, you know, and whatever. I want characters to be characters. I don't want them to be objectified in that way. And I think book two, I got about halfway through it and it just continued female characters being kind of killed off or marginalized for emotional punch for motivation for the main male character. And I just kind of got disgusted with it after a while. I couldn't stomach it. It wasn't enjoyable enough for me to overlook that. It just soured the whole experience. Something I appreciate about the show and the reading experience is that we hear from listeners every week who say that book that that guest didn't like sounds right up my Mm -hmm. alley. I'm requesting Mm -hmm. it immediately. And the book that that guest loved is so not for me. Either I read it and I hated it or I am never, ever reading that. So I can't imagine that what you just said is really going to cause readers to rush out to their bookstore or library. But I do love how (laughs) tastes differ. And that is Mm -hmm. okay. That is more than okay. That's a good thing. And you don't have to sound apologetic about liking what you like and disliking what you don't. So Jamie, right now, you recently finished I Heard the Owl Call My Name by Margaret Craven and A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. Jamie, on your submission Mm -hmm. form, you shared the books you love, which we appreciate. (laughs) That's very important. But you also shared three (laughs) authors you love. And I thought it was interesting how there was an overlap between those two lists. I thought it was odd. And that's the reason I shared it. The three authors I love are Brandon Sanderson, Tana French, and Connie Willis. Those are three authors that I really, really trust. I think I'd pick up any book. I'd be more likely to pick up any book if I saw their name attached to it. These are authors that I love, but if you notice, none of them are the authors of those books that I love that I mentioned (laughs) earlier in the podcast. So that seems curious to me, and I can't really explain why that is. Oh, no. I wanted to ask if you had a working theory. Uh, Well, okay. My best theory is that, and this is maybe going a little too deep into my own psyche. Maybe I need to stop navel gazing. But my best theory is that these authors are people that I feel like I've gotten to know through reading their works. And I really enjoy knowing more about them through each new book that they write. I think they're all authors that have a fair bit of range in what they've written. Like they're not just doing the same kind of protagonist in the same kind of situation. And I think you start to learn, you know, after you've read two or three books by the same person, you start to learn what's important to them and what they see as valuable in a story and what ideas fascinate them. And I enjoy that process of getting to know 
uh, an author through their work. And I think there are some authors that once you've read enough books by them, it's like you're visiting it with a friend next, the next time that you open one of their books. These authors are ones that feel like friends to me. Like I think I would open their books and just feel like, okay, Brandon, what do you have for me today? You know, or all right, Connie, let's, let's read this one. I have no <laughs> idea where it's going, but I want to, I want to sit for that conversation. So that's why they're my favorite authors, even though maybe I can't select one book of theirs that I would say was a transcendent reading experience. You know, I could say maybe where I onboarded, if that makes sense, where I first got captured by their writing. And maybe that would be, oh, that's a book I love. But there's a certain familiarity to my favorites. Whereas the books that I think, ooh, that was an experience, they're usually a little bit more surprising than that. I really like the sound of that theory. I think you might be on to something. And also looking at the difference between the authors you love and your favorite books, I'm reminded of a piece I read right around the turn of the year. If I can track down what it is, I know we've shared it in a newsletter. Um, We will put it in show notes. But this piece was evaluating the best-selling books of the previous year and of prior years as well, and was pointing out that the books that have become runaway bestsellers that the public has really latched onto are books that tend to break genre conventions that are very unusual Mm. in plot or structure or telling. They stand apart. There's no formula for those books. And that makes Mm -hmm. me think of what you were saying earlier about how you're less surprised than you used to be, but apparently people still like to be surprised. And you couldn't predict these bestsellers because they weren't like what came before. I don't know if when you look at the favorite books you chose today, if you think, oh, those mm-hmm. those do break the mold of what I have read in the past. I know you said that for the remains of the day. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how you feel about the other two, but that might be worth pondering. I think there's some truth to that, like that surprising desire for something novel is probably just a, a big part of the way that I approach life. You know, I enjoy new things. And if I look at the authors that I have selected as favorite authors, I would say that each of them is fairly atypical in the genre that they represent. You know, Brandon Sanderson kind of does his own thing with magic systems and the way that he structures um, plot is much more precise than many other writers who kind of tend to right up the seat of their pants. He also makes much more interesting settings. Tana French, she just absolutely understands the way human relationships feel and work and she writes such beautiful genuine descriptions it just feels utterly different than anything else in the detective or mystery genre and then you have Connie Willis who kind of writes science fiction kind of writes humor kind of writes history like she defies a lot of genre restraints as well which I love I have never read Brandon Sanderson, or how about I have not yet read Brandon Sanderson or Connie Willis, but I woke up this morning thinking, isn't it time for Tana French to announce a new book? It feels like time to me. <laughs> not, not that I'm, you know, like impatiently tapping my foot thinking like, come on, come on, Tana. But I love her writing and she's been mm-hmm. putting them out every two years and The Witch Elm came mm-hmm. out in fall 2018 and I'm just ready for news. Same here. I agree. I'm waiting for the next one. And that's kind of how I am about Brandon Sanderson too. You know, he's very much in the fantasy science fiction genre, but he is prolific. That guy publishes, I want to say, two books a year on average. Some of them are doorstops. Like he has thousand page novels that he comes out with every other, every third year, something like that. He writes a ton, which is wonderful for those who want to read voraciously. He's kind of known as the magic systems guy who like will write fantasy, but do more of a hard magic system that has kind of underlying logic to it and is more inventive. The thing I like about him a lot is he treats his characters with respect. They each have their own development and he cares about researching things to make it feel true and feel genuine. And I really appreciate that. I think that's one thing that I value deeply is when authors seem to have a lot of respect for their characters. And then Connie Willis, she's written stuff all over the place. And I really enjoy her writing. Although I will say she's the one of the three that I have not read everything that she's written. But the things that I have read, I've deeply enjoyed. Well, you have some books to look forward to then. I do. Jamie, what are you looking for in your reading life? Well, one of my long-term quests as a reader is to find more books that 
show representation of married or committed couples where they're both full characters in the story and it's not a story about them getting together or breaking up. I think oftentimes we only see people in committed relationships when the relationship itself is somehow imperiled. Apparently, after a person gets married or commits to a person, they no longer get to have new experiences or grow or go and do things or be a full character. Like that attitude is, you know, well, life ends once you're married, which I think is absolute garbage. And I think anyone who's ever been married can attest to the fact that it's absolute garbage. I feel like there's a dearth of books out there that actually show married people as people where being married is part of who they are, but it is not the whole story. This is a challenging question because when you talk about that, I think there have to be books out there like this. And yet there's no algorithm for that. There's no neat, tidy list anywhere. You can't you can't run that through a search engine and come up with a list of answers. Fiction thrives on tension. And so many stories are about the tension that happens in relationships. So, so when I start thinking about what we want to find to add to your list, we want stories of married couples facing an external crisis, not one in their relationship. It's a novel. There's going to be a crisis. Well, and I'm fine with whatever external crisis impacting their relationship, right? Like, I'm fine if whatever external crisis is going on has an influence on the way that they relate to one another. I feel like that feels absolutely genuine. I just don't want it to be all that's going on in the book. Jamie, are you looking for generally happy stories? Maybe not happy stories, but are you looking for couples who are generally satisfied with their relationship? Or do like totally disastrous marriage stories count here as well? (laughs) I'm fine with a little bit of disaster, but I have a hard time when it's hopeless. In general, I can read some pretty tough stuff and some pretty gritty stuff. But if it goes down the hopeless avenue, I just I quit. It's not even a preference issue at that point. I just, I peace out and I say, I I get enough of that in work. I don't want to go there for my reading life. It's funny. When I read your request, I envisioned stories where the couple's are intact at the end of the novel. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that's not actually what you said. So I wasn't sure if I was projecting on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) If I got lucky or if there was something in the way you put it that made me think that. No, I'd love it if they stay together. So we want a little hope and not total devastation. Yes. (laughs) Okay, we'll see what we can do. So Jamie... The books that you love are The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss, The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro, and Wool by Hugh Howie. Not For You is Red Rising by Pierce Brown and the rest of the series. And recently you've read A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls, and I Heard the Owl Call My Name by Margaret Craven. You are feeling a little weary of your go-to fantasy and sci-fi genres and would love to find stories of married couples facing challenges together. I love how on your submission, you said that since you are feeling burned out on your go-to choices of sci-fi and fantasy, maybe something more grounded would be right for you right now. That being said, I would really like to start with a like solidly fantasy recommendation. Can I do it? Oh, please do. Because I just finished this book. I'm not a go-to fantasy reader, but I just finished this book and it was so good. Good. (laughs) Okay. The book is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. Are you a reader of her work? Speaking of prolific authors. I have started, and this is horrible, Anne, I've started two or three of her books. I have not made it all the way through one of them. Well, I think this is a good one to start with then. I've read several of her books. I haven't read any complete series because she has written a lot of series. This book has such propulsive page-turning energy, and it's so inventive. I was just reading this thinking, I have not read nearly as many fantasy and sci-fi novels as you have, but I was just reading this thinking, how on earth did she come up with this in her human brain? Like this is so fantastically inventive and imaginative. Something else I really was aware of when I was reading this book as I'm sure that this book has depths that my brain did not take in. This would definitely be worth a reread for me. I'm certain there's stuff that went over my head and I still was all in from the beginning. I loved it. To write this book, N.K. Jemisin really 
built out a short story that she included in her 2018 short story collection called How Long Till Black Future Month. Mm. And that is called The City Born Great. And you can Google and find that online and read it right now. Mm. We'll put it in show notes. The idea here is that New York has reached the point in its development as great cities have rarely but definitely throughout time, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, the great cities of civilization, think Rome and Athens and Sao Paulo. Now, New York City has reached this stage of human development and it is about to come alive. And when it does, what happens is there are five boroughs who are personified, the avatars of Manhattan, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, and poor, neglected Staten Island. So they all have human-like avatars Mm -hmm. who have to come together and fight as a team to save the city. It's very realistic in its setting in New York City. It's like reading an action movie. And it is also so (laughs) fantastically strange, weird, and wonderful, and so fast-paced. And the combination of that could never, ever happen. Mm. How did you come up with that? And, oh, you're describing streets that I literally walked down a couple of weeks ago when I was in New York, is so effective. The antagonist is strange and scary. This is not a horrific book by any means, but it's just so creepy. She makes the stakes feel really powerful. And the solution at the end is perfect and also really, really funny. How does this sound to you? I think that sounds fun. Like I said, I've tried a couple of N.K. Jemisin's books in the past and gotten kind of halted midway through, but this sounds like one I could definitely give a try. I think it sounds like a very interesting premise. That is The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin. This is the first in a planned series. I believe it's to be a trilogy. It's about 400 pages It goes so quickly. I'm sure many people will sit down and read this in an evening. Okay, that book does not feature married couples living out some version of a happy ever after Mm -hmm. at all. But I would like to go that direction now, if you're ready. I am. Jamie, once I started making a list, and I also asked our patrons at our What Should I Read Next Patreon, that's patreon.com slash what should I read next, what they could recommend. Some of the books they recommended are definitely tragic, but there are a lot of happy and hopeful ones that I hadn't thought of, which is why it's so great to ask your fellow readers instead of type this request into the Google. Because if you do, you come up with like, I mean, have you tried to search for this online? (laughs) Is this something you've tried? to? Uh, Yeah, didn't get very far. (laughs) There was a book that came to mind when I read your request. And I thought, I don't know, the couples get together in the beginning, but I think our patrons might have convinced me that while it's true the two couples this novel tracks do in fact get together in the beginning of the book. It's clear from the beginning that they belong together. They're going to be together. And the story is about what that looks like over the next 50, 60 years. Hmm. So with those caveats in place, can we do it? Yeah. This book is The Dearly Beloved by Kara Wall. Is this one you've read or are familiar with? It came out last fall. No. This book is the story of two marriages that lasted for over 40 years. And in some ways, it's really similar to a book that I really love, Crossing to Safety. I would definitely not call it a read-alike. But from the very beginning of the book, you know that these couples have lived out much of their lives together. Because from the first line, you know that one of the men has died, the other is completely upset. And the relationship between the two women of the couples is complicated. Mm. And then in the final paragraph of the book, it picks up from that moment and you find out what happens next. But the rest of the book is about how you got from the first sentence to the final paragraph, Mm. everything that happened in between. The Dearly Beloved follows these two couples first independently, but then their fates become entwined. They both meet each other in college and they meet and they fall in love. And this happens really, really quickly. So in 1963, the couples come together, and this is unprecedented in the book's timeline. The husbands become co-pastors of the Third Presbyterian Church in New York City in Greenwich Village. This is a church that historically has been white, comfortable, and middle class, but it's the 60s, and it's trying to figure out how to be the church it wants to be in the world as it is now. And when 
the leadership of the church goes to call a new pastor, they're debating between these two men, Charles and James, and they have totally different styles. And they could see how each would benefit the church. And they have no idea how to choose facing what they feel like they're facing in 1963, New York. So they decide to flout convention and choose both and offer this unusual co-pastorship to the two men, which means their fates are bound together for the next 40 years. And also, while there's much good that comes of that, there's also, as I think you could understand, a lot of tension that comes from this unusual relationship. Mm. And there's a lot of tension between the women as well. It's worth saying, though, this is a book that is set very much in a church, but I wouldn't by any means call this the genre that is Christian fiction. Mm -hmm. What I love about this book is that the women and their relationships and their struggles and their tension, the tension between the two of them is every bit as important, maybe more so in the story is the relationship between the men based on what you said about some books that you've disliked in the past. I think that's important to mm -hmm. you. And then you've talked a lot about how you want your fiction to feel genuine. And something that makes me think this book could be a good pick for you is that Kara Wall is writing what she knows. Mm -hmm. Her parents lived in Greenwich Village. They moved there in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Her father studied NYU. Her mother was the receptionist at First Presbyterian Church, the church that inspired this book. And they've been members there for over 50 years. Wall says she practically grew up in the place where she said this story. So this is a story about marriage and friendship and faith. And while these couples are definitely not happy all the time, it's a hopeful story. How does that sound to you? That sounds beautiful. Totally hit the nail on the head. And I want to go find it right now and read it. I'm happy to hear that. So I did just say happy all the time. Mm -hmm. I tossed that out accidentally because it's a phrase, mm -hmm. but it reminded me that there's a novel called Happy All the Time by Lori Colwin, who I definitely knew better, as the author of food memoirs like Home Cooking, which I love. Her attitude coming to this is how come fiction features couples that are falling apart, not that are living out happy relationships. Mm. And this book was her answer. It's about two childhood best friends who get married and then have to navigate life hmm. after that. I think this could be the right book at the right time for a lot of people who just want a break from the angst that is so often present in contemporary literary fiction. Mm -hmm. It came out in 1978. It's also set in New York City. <laughs> I think this could be a fun one for your list. Okay. That's not the direction I intended to go. Okay. Now we're going to pivot based on your love of mystery. Well, you didn't say you love mysteries. You said you love Tana French. I do love Tana French. And I like mysteries too, as a genre. I've gone on mystery jags before. All right. Well, if you're feeling like jagging that direction, I think Celine by Peter Heller could be a promising pick for you. Is this a book you're familiar with? Isn't Peter Heller the guy who wrote uh, The River? Yes. Okay. I read that last year because you recommended it on the podcast and I loved it. So this is a good start, but I haven't heard of Celine before. Oh, there's so much to love about this story. So going back to stories that feel true to life, this story is heavily based on Peter Heller's own mother, who was in probably both a private investigator who solved hundreds of cases, often missing persons cases for private clients over the years. Mm. And she was an artist. This book does so many things that other books don't do, and it does them all in the same story, and it does them so well. Celine is a wealthy woman, an artist who lives in New York City, and she has been happily married for many, many years to Pete. We talked to Peter Heller for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club back in November, and something we asked him was, are you Pete? Did you write yourself into the story? Like, is this you? Mm -hmm. Is this you injecting yourself into your mom's history? And he's like, nope, my mother was happily married to Pete. For many, many years, I didn't even change his name. So I thought that was kind of fun to know. That person as well was based on someone who was very, very real and important to the author. But what happens is Celine, there's this funny line at the beginning of the book where she makes a crack about how she's called the Prada PI, which is ridiculous because she would never wear Prada. She's a Gucci woman. <laughs> so the book has a wry sense of humor, which I thought was really, really fun since we're solving a grisly crime. Sure. So what happens is this young woman, Gabriella, shows up on her doorstep 
she's suddenly very motivated to solve a missing persons case uh, that unfolded a long, long time ago. Her father was a photographer. He went missing in Yellowstone many years ago. His body was never found. And because of things that have just started happening, Gabrielle's determined to figure out what really happened back then, right now. So Celine and Pete take off for Yellowstone to solve the crime. She's in her 80s. She's on oxygen. She has emphysema. She has this man by her side that she's committed to and can't do her job without. And she's going into the past to solve Gabriella's story. So it unfolds on two timelines. His writing is really beautiful. The plotting is tight. The setting is interesting. And it feels so true to life, mm. even though it's nothing I've experienced in my life and wouldn't imagine it's anything you would have either or would in the future. I hope not, Jamie. (laughs) It feels so real. I think it could be a good fit. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I think I would definitely pick that up, especially since I had a good, very good experience reading The River. That's definitely a winner. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. So, Jamie, the books we talked about were The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin, The Dearly Beloved by Kara Wall, and Celine by Peter Heller. What do you think you'll read next? Well, as of today, The City We Became isn't out yet. I think my strategy is going to be looking for both The Dearly Beloved and Celine in the library, and then whichever one arrives first. (laughs) That's the one I start with. But I think if they arrive at the same time, I'll probably start with The Dearly Beloved by Kara Wall. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you so much, Anne. It's been a pleasure. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jamie today, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 228, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Readers, we've also been doing transcripts for some time now. To get those, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com and look for the transcript. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, our podcast has a brand new account there. And yes, it has been four years and it did take us this long to do it. You can find us there at Read Next Podcast. You can also follow my personal account at Ann Vogel and with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Find me on Instagram at Ann Vogel and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast, we sure would appreciate your rating and review. What that does is helps other readers find the show. And that makes us so happy at What Should I Read Next headquarters. We really believe in spreading the book love, as you probably guessed. And we would so appreciate it if you could do that for us. Thanks in advance. And thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Begacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.